Howdy, Ags. Welcome to Aggie Growth Hacks, the podcast sponsored by the McFanner Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M, where we help entrepreneurs improve their business, connect with other Aggie entrepreneurs, and support one another. I'm your host, Greg Martin, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2001. And I'm your co-host, Chris Hunter, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1998. Whoop. Well, we got a little story for you, Ags. Larry Warnock, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1983, is the managing partner of Ring Ventures a venture capital firm focused on helping Aggie entrepreneurs take their company to the next level and helping Aggie investors achieve amazing returns. And Larry is turning Austin a little bit more maroon every single day. Well, Ags, we just want to give you a heads up. This episode is a little bit longer than our normal runtime, but Larry brings so much value that we knew that you would want to hear everything that he has to say. So pass it on back and listen up to Larry as he shares some good bulk. Welcome back, Ags. I cannot wait to have you hear this episode. I first met our guest, Larry, was probably about a year or so ago. Um, for those of you who have listened to Aggie Growth Hacks at any length, have heard us talk about the EBV or the Entrepreneur Bootcamp for Veterans, which is a program that the McFanner Center for Entrepreneurship hosts twice a year uh, with our good friends over at Reynolds and Reynolds, but they host it to be able to help support veteran owned businesses that, that are entrepreneurs. And I met Larry sitting on the, the banker panel. And of course, as the conventional banker, um, I've got one way of looking at it, but Larry is the managing partner for ring ventures, which is a venture capital fund. And so we're going to, going to be able to, to learn and understand how a venture capital actually looks at businesses. We're going to take a deep dive today. So, Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so excited for this interview. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Chris. Looking forward to it. Well, we met on AM's campus, uh, sit, sitting over on West Campus at the, the uh, McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship. But as a student, Larry, what do you miss? Or what do you miss about not being a student? You know, I have to go way back. You know, we rode horses to class when I went. <laughs> So no, not really. Um, so Lawrence Sullivan uh, Ross was your president. Yeah, I, Lawrence Sullivan Ross was a lot taller than the statue portrays. I'm just saying in real life. Um, <laughs> no, class of '83. But I, I think what I miss is really the vibrancy of the energy of walking around campus. I was really active at AM. I was in the Corps of Cadets. I was in student government. I also went to my classes. So I met a lot of different kinds of people in different walks in life across the university and walked to class, you know, every day living there on the quad. And it was just always an energy of, you know, the world is your oyster. It's all about the future. So everybody there was thinking about what's next, what's to come. They didn't have the burden of responsibility or hadn't racked up some failures yet in their life, which do happen. And those are sometimes good. But I think what I miss most is just the energy of moving through the campus and seeing the, you know, the spark in everybody's step, uh, knowing that their whole future is ahead of them. And, you know, everybody's there to get good at something that they're going to go pursue. And there's just an attitude about that. So that's probably the, the thing I miss most. That's awesome. That's probably one of the most eloquent answers that we've had because most people, you know, talk about football or, you know, all that kind of chicken. stuff. So that's the chicken, right? Is it, poultry is it, yeah, well, I, poultry I do miss yeah. chicken, though. but I am that old guy that's at every after every game. I'm that old guy over there in the corner. Um, and yeah, I still carve my name in. It's in there like nice. six <laughs> times. So don't make me show you where it is. So. Right. Love it. Love it. So tell us a little bit about Ring Ventures. 
how did you start this and, and why? What what yeah. what does Ring Ventures do for? I mean, we know Greg and I know, but our audience might or might not know about Ring Ventures. Right. So first, especially for all the entrepreneurs out there that might be raising money, a vehicle to raise money is the venture capital community. And venture capital firms take huge risk with the potential for huge returns, but it's not debt. It's just equity that you use to build your business with the hopes of an exit sometime in the future, an exit being an IPO or getting acquired. So Ring Ventures is focused on bringing the opportunity to Aggie investors. So almost all of my investors are former students and they can invest in a fund. And we end up with about 25 companies of interesting tech from around the world that we think have a great future. We invest in those companies alongside the top tier firms in the world with Peter Thiel, with Andreessen Horowitz, Bessemer, Benchmark, Excel, Kleiner, Perkins. So we get deal flow that's the best of the best. And so what happened was the managing company called Alumni Ventures, which is the back office for all of this, actually was doing this for 18 different universities around the country, but not AM. Well, I found out about it. So I called the CEO. I said, when are you doing the Aggie Fund? He said, never. I said, was it, would he go to Austin? No, he's from Dartmouth. He's from Dartmouth, New Hampshire. He didn't even know where Texas was. And it's like, New Hampshire? I didn't even know that was still a state. I thought we gave that back to England. But um, anyway, long story short, you know, we built a business case and and I built the plan and and got support. And we created Ring Ventures, of course, named after the Aggie Ring. And what we do is we look at early stage through late stage deals. I'll look at and talk to just about any any Aggie entrepreneur, even if it's not right for us, I'll open my Rolodex and try to make some introductions. So my soft uh, charter is help the A&M entrepreneur community. If I can rally funds to invest, great. If not, maybe I can open some doors or if nothing else, give some feedback on what uh, a venture capital firm is going to say when you do your pitch. So that's the short version of what Ring Ventures is. It's open to any accredited investor. You don't have to be an Aggie, but 95% of my investors are. And the whole reason we're doing it, Chris, is this category of venture capital has been barred from folks like us. Unless you're an endowment or a foundation or a family office that could write a $10 million check, you couldn't get into venture. So we're bringing it or democratizing it to um, individuals. So Larry, what's an accredited investor? So an accredited investor does mean you've had some success in your career in order to invest the money. Now we'll invest it in two guys and a dog in a garage with nothing but a PowerPoint. So there's the criteria for the business idea does not meet the same criteria, but to invest in our fund where you participate in the upside returns, uh, the SEC has a definition called accredited. That means you had to have made $200,000 a year for at least the last two years or 300,000 with your partner or have a liquidity net worth of a million dollars. So it turns out just about any vice president or above in any industry is probably accredited. So how did you get into the venture capital world? I mean, what was your undergrad degree in? I mean, did you go straight into Wall Street and, and doing the investment banking? No, Greg, I actually went a very different route, probably the route that the journey that a lot of your listeners are on. Um, I was an operations guy. I've been the CEO of three startup companies, all venture backed, all with successful exits. 
I rose up in the rank through sales and marketing at a tech company. So I'd been an operator in the tech industry for way longer than I've been an investor. Um, but what I think that does is it helps me connect with entrepreneurs very quickly because I've been in their chair. I've pitched to VCs and raised venture capital money. Now I'm on the other side of the table and I think I have an interesting perspective. So I went through a majority of my career in software and was a VP of marketing, a CMO, then a CEO, as I mentioned. And uh, then I sold my last company. I thought I was going to retire. Uh, turns out I'm not very good at it. I don't play golf. <laughs> and so my wife said, you know, don't you have something to do? <laughs> so I, I found this model and it just fit what I wanted to do next and the skills that I'd collected, uh, the bumps and bruises and mistakes that I've made over the years. It just fit really well. So I came into venture capital with deep operating experience, not hardly any banking experience. Interesting. So, all right, you said something there, you know, entrepreneurs come and pitch. So is this like Shark Tank kind of thing? Is, is You've got a, you know, a panel a great, of people. It's, it's, this is what a lot of people, they make a face of me when I say this. Shark Tank is actually pretty accurate of what goes on in venture capital pitching. Is it it's really? just that what takes them 10 minutes takes six weeks. And we go into um, a lot more detail. But it does start with a pitch. It's usually not 10 minutes. That's a little much. It's usually 30 to 45 minutes, which is what is your idea? What's your total addressable market? Why, you know, why now? Why you? But then there's due diligence where we go through income statements, uh, balance sheets, you know, have smart people look at the technology. But this idea that you present your idea and then you try to get investors to bid against each other is actually pretty accurate. That kind of happens. Now it's dramatized, of course, but that is what we do. We are a venture capital investor, just like those people sitting in the chairs, making a decision to buy a percentage of the company with a long-term opportunity to return high gains. So then Larry, is it also accurate on Shark Tank? They talk about you can have money or you can have this shark or that shark, but you need to pick me because I'm Mr. Wonderful and I bring this area of expertise. And I, and I think the term that I've heard you use before is smart money versus just, just regular money to be able to say, okay, there is, there's something else that I bring to the table, whether that be my Rolodex or connections or technology specific. Is is that accurate as well in your world? It actually is. I would say to the entrepreneurs listening, uh, first of all, first and foremost, raise money wherever you can get it. You know, if it is a biker gang from Montana and the terms are good, take the money. But Baseball if you have a are not choice, part of the deal, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but if you have a choice and you get an opportunity, you want to look for the entrepreneurs want to look for something that's going to add value beyond just a check. And that's some relative experience in your market segment, a Rolodex that they're willing to open or advice and guidance that you think would add value. And also, do you like that individual? Does he or she connect with you? And can you have discussions in both good times and bad times? Because for all the entrepreneurs out there starting companies right now, there's always a bad time. Something always goes wrong. It just does. But that's okay. It's built into the venture capital model. So you want to be in the boat, if you will, with someone that you trust and you can work with when you got to both grab an oar and paddle in the right direction. 
interesting. So to me, it sounds like Ring Ventures providing the stage, the arena for this to happen. So, you know, coming into this, I had in my mind thinking, okay, you guys are, you know, I'll give you $100,000 or whatever, and you guys invest it, you know, but it sounds more like it's it's a one-on-one individual investment. Well, great question. So what we do is, so a former student that has some discretionary money uh, is trying to diversify their portfolio. They have some real estate, they have some stocks, some bonds, maybe they have crypto, maybe they have gold, whatever they have. Venture capital is a long-term wealth creation play, eight to 10 years, typically to get the returns. But the returns over the last 30 years have outstripped the S&P each and every year for the last 30 years. So you have to have patience. So an investor, an Aggie investor gives us, let's say, $50,000. That's pooled with other Aggies, and we have a big pot of money. We then make decisions on where to put that, and we then together own a piece of that company. When that company goes public or is sold, we dish out the proceeds based on the pro rata or the percent they own of how much they gave me. So if I took $10,000 of their hundred and put it in a company and that company had a five X return, they get 50 K back. So it's a fund. It's not an angel network. Although I participate in the Aggie angel network, love those folks over there. Blake Petty runs a great program. I actually watch them for deals that I might want to write a check at too. So this isn't a one by one. You're investing in ring and you get a fund, a fund of 25 because that's a diversified uh, strategy is different markets. I'm going to be in robotics and aerospace and business software and health technology in consumer technology. So it'll be diversified fund of 25 companies, which give you the statistics have shown a diversified fund is the best way for long-term gains. So you say that you're diversified with into 25 different investments, but I've heard you say a couple of times that you like tech and even in all those examples, there's yeah. some type of technology. Is that just because of your background as the managing partner to be able to drive that? Or is tech just the biggest area of growth? That is a great question. So we follow other venture capital firms and the trend that the venture capital industry is chasing. Um, The venture capital market only goes after deals with really, really high gross margins and with the opportunity for an exit that is a multiple above the top line revenue or a multiple above their EBITDA profit. So venture capital, not just ring, but venture capital doesn't do restaurants. We don't do oil leases. We don't do real estate. We look for a heavy component of tech or technology enabled You know, we will do hardware, software, websites, technology that's web enabled. But, you know, there's a there's a quote I can't take credit years ago that said from Mark Andreessen said software is eating the world. It turns out that technology is in so many different products today. Mm -hmm. The list of what VCs investing is getting larger and it's it's amazing. It's very different than even 10 years ago. I'll give you two examples. You know, when a VC says Oh, venture capitalists only invest in software. We say, well, what about Tesla and SpaceX? (laughs) That's a rocket and a car. And those are both venture capital backed. Yeah. So the point though is, is their breakthrough technology with a lot of technology in the products that they offer. And therefore their exit potential is very, very high. Interesting. So going back to the whole pitch is, you know, thing. So what's the most interesting pitch that you've turned down? 
oh my God. <laughs> I, that's it's crazy. I have that top of mind. I didn't know you were going to ask that question, but I'm not making this. I did. I'm not making this up. This is a true story. So bear with me. Okay. So I was at a rest. Uh, I'm based in Austin, Texas, and uh, I've lived in California, lived in Colorado, Houston, Dallas. But I, I'm my you're turning Austin maroon. Good, good job. I'm, I'm doing my best because my wife's here. She's class of '83 as well. My daughter's class of '10. So we are slowly maroonizing. <laughs> But it's really hard to do in Austin. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. really it's, it's an uphill, it's an uphill battle. Anyway, I was with another venture capitalist for dinner and he said, oh, there's this guy I want you to meet. And we walked over to the table and he met him, chatted with him and very energetic guy. I was very bright. And he said, you need to take a call and hear this guy's pitch. I said, well, can you tell me at the high level? He goes, nope, I want to tell you when I pitch you. And I said, okay. So I get on the phone a week later and he was five slides in until I realized he was absolutely sincere and honest that he wasn't punking me. They raised a ton of money and they're growing a woolly mammoth. It is, they got DNA from what? Siberia. They are editing it with a technology called CRISPR, which is very, very interesting genetic editing uh, technology and software. And they're going to embed this DNA and alter the egg of an African female elephant, and they're going to grow a woolly mammoth. And they're going to grow a woolly mammoth to prove that they've been able to recalibrate the genetic map to bring back extinct species or to create new species. And their long-term real business is- um, Jurassic Park. <laughs> right. There's like well, yeah, four no, movies about this, right? No, that, there's movies. Exactly. But what they really, you know, they want to solve sickle cell anemia, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, et cetera. But I'm not kidding. I thought that my buddies had put these guys up and is that see if I would fall for this woolly mammoth. But it was a real deal. It wow. actually happened. Wow. And they've raised over $40 million to date. What? I passed. Yes, I passed because I didn't want to be part of that press conference when that woolly mammoth escapes from Disney World and stomps on a child. <laughs> right. I so you, you're the only one that has seen how Jurassic Park yeah, so it, I might be the dumbest VC in Austin. A lot of people passed on it, but it didn't pass the, do I really want to be involved test? Is yeah. it an interesting business? Well, the technology for CRISPR uh, is actually very interesting and has applications for diseases, et cetera. And this was the way to the, for them to get global attention, which they've done. But, you know, that's under that subjective measure that a VC has with the deal. I just didn't like it. I didn't think it was yeah. a great idea. They might become billionaires and I'll say, hey, I missed that one. But there's a lot of ones that miss. So that is a true story of one wow. that I, I missed. Let me tell you another true story of one that I missed on the first round, but I am scrambling to get into a future round. It is actually an Aggie founder um, who is an aerospace engineer, PhD. He and his business partner are based in Seattle, Washington. It's called Starfish Space, and they're making a space tug. Basically, it will be a small orbiting vehicle that will go nudge satellites back into the orbit they're supposed to be in. To extend the light, because what happens is these satellites run out of the fuel, the benzene rockets, 
and then they degrade and fall into the Indian Ocean. So if you can just keep the satellite up for another two or three years, it turns out it's very, very economically attractive. I tried to get in in the first round. I liked the fact that it was an Aggie founder. I liked the technology. Um, there's a thousand satellites being added to space a month. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. Within the next two years, Elon Musk will have more satellites in space than anyone else, including governments. Next frontier, clearly stealing the Star Trek line. But I, I didn't get in it because there wasn't room. But that started the relationship. And I've been doing everything I can to try to help the guy and make introductions so that when he does come time to invest again, and there's potentially a hole um, back to that smart money is he would have seen I've done some benefit with a potential upside, but no guarantee. So that's one that I missed. I wish I hadn't, but I'm going to be chasing that one. Just like they're chasing satellites, I'm going to be chasing starfish. And so anybody that's interested and likes to geek out or nerd out on space technology, look up starfish space. It's on the web, Google it, read what they're doing and be proud that you're an Aggie because it's an Aggie scientist that's running nice. it. Cool. Okay, Larry, those are two amazing stories. Has there been a company that Ring Ventures has invested in that that you have had an exit? Because Ring Ventures is not that old, correct? Yeah. Right, Greg. No, we have not had an exit yet. So we've only, uh, we opened our first fund 14 months ago. The first fund was full and closed. We've deployed all that money. It's about 25 companies. Five of them have had new rounds of funding with what's called a step up in value, which is on paper, they just got more valuable, but that's not a distribution to our investors because they haven't had an exit. Be like watching the stock market and seeing uh, Pfizer's stock go from eight to 14. On paper, you've just had a gain, but unless you sell it, you don't get it. So we're really excited that we've had five step up in value in less than a year, which is one fifth of crazy your outrageous fast for venture. And we've had zero flame outs. I will, we'll have three or four of those 25 companies will sink under the waves and they just didn't make it. Hopefully they'll do it before they burn up more cash. But that's our model. We know that a percentage will hit big. It's much like baseball. There's going to be a few grand slams over the fence. But as you know, if you're a baseball fan, it doesn't happen every game. It doesn't happen all the time. Well, there's be some runs, some home runs. There'll be some triples, there'll be some doubles. There'll be some singles and there'll be some outs and there'll be strikeouts. So we build a model that says, how do we deploy our money? So that when that all averages out, end of the fund, you've got between four to six X a return. So hundred X becomes 500 X in eight years. If we do our job, hundred K becomes 500 yeah. K. How many pitches do y'all get like on a regular basis? I mean, like, do you get like a hundred per day kind of thing or is it a, oh, it's not, no, it's not a hundred per day, <laughs> uh, but so first of all, I have a team, I have a team and I'll get an in a mail in my inbox and, or they'll come through LinkedIn or it'll be a connection. I'll pause there for a second and message to entrepreneurs. Listen, don't go to a VC cold find a warm introduction, spend the time to find someone that knows someone to make a warm intro because those immediately get my attention. When stuff comes in cold or it's a website, submit business plan here. Yeah, you can do it, but it's just not going to get attention. It just doesn't work. So the warm intros work. We probably get 10 a week, talk to four, then we'll probably invest 
one to two times a month. So just whatever that cascading math is. One of the cool things about our fund is because I have this back office that has funds for other universities, we share deals. So if I'm looking for a robotic deal to balance my portfolio, I'm not the sole source of finding it. I reach out to the 18 of my peers and say, hey, heads up, I really want a robotic deal for fund two. I'm not having any luck finding one. Keep me in mind. And so that actually happened in fund one. I have a robotic deal that came out of Carnegie Mellon called Ghost Robotic. They make the little dog-like robot that runs behind soldiers and helps firefighters. Oh, really? really oh, that's, cool. that's cool. Yeah, we're, we're in that deal. But it came from the Cornell Fund because the technology was built at Carnegie Mellon, but one of the co-founders was a graduate of Cornell and they did all the due diligence and I was able to write a check. So these 25 companies are not all found by me, probably eight of them, but my responsibility is keep an eye on Texas. There's another fund uh, for TU as well. You know, now that they're getting in the SCC, I can call them TU again. I used to be polite and called them the University of Texas. That's over. Now that they're glommed on coming into the SEC, they're T-SIPs again. But we have a fund for T-SIPs. Another guy runs who's in my same office. Our responsibility is keep an eye on everything Texas and bring that back to the campfire, if you will, for all the other 18 funds. And then the teams in California do the same, the teams in Boston and New York, et cetera. So your question was about how many do we see? We see a lot, but we always try to at least get back to an entrepreneur. Going dark is just evil. We don't know. The next Jeff Bezos could be 24 years old sending a pitch duck and pissing her or him off in 10 years. I might highly regret that. So we think of every entrepreneur as having the potential and we do our best to get back and either give them a quick no or a, you know, this is cool, but this is not venture fundable. And then sometimes I'll say, you know what, this is perfect for the Aggie Angel Network. Then I'll sponsor them into Blake. Nine times out of 10, if I've sent it over, Blake will usually take a look at it. So Larry, I'm going to try and put myself in the mind of a technology entrepreneur. You alluded to earlier um, having a a list of criteria of things that you evaluate the the company in. Can you kind of run through that? Yeah. You mean for us as a venture capital looking at a deal? Looking to invest Mm -hmm. into a deal. Right. Different VC firms have different models, but I think this is relatively generally true. Um, I can't be so bold to say I speak for the entire industry, but generally it's true. First of all, the team, the team really matters because companies often have to pivot. They have to adjust. They have to deal with adversity. And does the team or the leader or the founder have grit? Are they self-actualized? Do they understand that they know a lot, but they don't know everything? Mm -hmm. Are they willing to get help and advice? And do they have an expertise in the category? Um, If they're doing some kind of technology for firefighting, Have they ever been a firefighter? Have they ever interacted? Have they made equipment that firefighters use? You know, no, I'm trained at the best as a chef in the French cuisine. And I learned in Belgium. And you're starting a company that provides technology for firefighters. You don't have relevant experience. So we look at the team. Do they have grit? Are they self-actualized? Meaning they can adjust and take advice. And do they have a relevant knowledge of what they're trying to do? So that's team. The next is the market. Is it a big market? 
you know, if I ask them who their target is and they say, well, you know, it's Samoan young ladies, 18 to 21 that enjoy roller skating on concrete, that's too small. <laughs> so, you know, nothing wrong with that group of people. I, if any of you are those people on the call, I did not mean to offend. I don't want Will Smith coming up here and slapping me. Um, but, right. but we look at what's called the TAM, the total addressable market. How many target companies or people, and do you really have an understanding of who they are? What is the demographic? So if, if your demographic is companies, you know, any enterprise company, okay, how big? How many employees? Do you know who they are? Are there financial services companies are better than airlines? Have you taken the time to understand your target, truly understand your target and what their needs are? So I put that all under the target or the market. It's referred to as TAM, uh, total addressable market. Next, I would say is traction. And it's just traction on anything. Whatever mm -hmm. you decide is important. You know, Facebook went 15 years without any revenue. So if they declare day one, watch our revenue line to determine if we're doing well, what they said was watch the number of users we get and their daily or weekly engagement. That line should be up and to the right. So the entrepreneur gets to pick what metric do you want the VC to look at and just make sure it's going up and to the right. If it's logins, if it's downloads, it's dollars spent on the website, last month versus this month versus future months, whatever that metric is, we're looking for traction in something, okay? Mm -hmm. And then I think the last is, what's their long-term vision? You know, what, what do they really want out of this? Are they trying to build, a, you know, a, the next great Amazon? Are they trying to flip it fast because they built a feature and they want to sell it? And by the way, both of those are investable. I'll invest in both of those. I just want to know, does the founder really have a vision of what she or he is trying to do? And are they willing to share that so that we can be on the same page? Because if they believe it's a phenomenal feature, I'll give you an analogy. So bear with me. It's a very long-winded. I don't know if this is the 30-second round, but I've screwed it no, up. No, no, no. Keep, no but, keep coming. No, okay. not yet. So I was the CEO of a software company that we very early recognized that we had an incredible technology that was unique, but it was a feature that needed to be in a much larger platform that did other things. And so what I would say to people is, we are in the minivan market and we make a cup holder. It is the best freaking cup holder ever, but we're gonna get acquired by a minivan company to put it into the back seat. And so having an actualization of which are you? Are you the full minivan or are you the cup holder? And I'll invest in cup holders all day long, just as long as we're on the same page, because if I think they're working on a minivan and they stop their development on the cup holder and say, you know, we're next thinking about a reclining seat. You're like, where's the engine? <laughs> what about the wheels? <laughs> you're like, no, I, I got to be on the same. I got to be on the same page. So that's my answer for what do we as venture capitals look for? find it fascinating that you didn't mention revenue. You didn't mention profitability. You didn't mention the the customer acquisition cost. You didn't mention margins. That's later. Greg, if I may interrupt, those are important at various stages. So bear with me for a second. Uh, Venture Capital Tutorial 101. There's the seed stage, S-E-E-D. This is about the idea and getting customer feedback to see if it's a viable idea. Then there's the Series A. The Series A is really about, you've got a little bit of traction in something, 
Can you repeat it? Here's some more money to do the repeatability. Maybe it's just downloads. You're not going to monetize it for a very long time. So what you're trying to get traction on is just downloads or visits or something. Um, You're not even going to put ads up on your webpage until you've got a million viewers or whatever. So the revenue's down the line. But then when you get to stage B, C, and D, and you can go all the way to F and G, it's happened. Then you start to look at the metrics of the business. Is this a sustainable repeating business? And can it ever achieve profitability? So series B is when you talked about customer acquisition costs lifetime value of a customer. And then you need to start projecting when will we get to cash flow positive and then to an EBITDA business that's profitable. Eventually that has to happen, but in series C and A, yeah, exactly. And some of them (laughs) never do it. Well, look, Amazon Amazon went public unprofitable. Just wrap your head around that. Amazon went public and they were not profitable. So those are metrics, but they're for farther down the line So if I'm investing in a series C, which we do, and we come in um, much later, the reward is lower. I'm doing the math. This is a two or three X. So not a 10 or 20 X, but I'm then looking for revenue traction, customer acquisition cost, lifetime value of a customer. Are they ever going to buy something again? Do they just buy one and leave? You know, how efficient am I? Is there ways to pull efficiencies into the business? But those later stages is when you start to hear noise about a different category of capital called private equity. And the PE or private equity business is all about efficiency for EBITDA performance. That's after venture. So it is relevant to building a business and you better have an answer for it, entrepreneur. But in the early stages of seed and A, we're looking at top line growth. Wow. Well, that, that's really interesting. I appreciate you because in my mind, I always thought it was you either go the VC route or you go the, the private equity route. It, I didn't realize that there are times when they intersect and, and take to the, they, to the next level. They do. And in fact, that's really the three ways to exit for a venture capital firm is number one, an IPO, which is actually pretty rare. You know, we read all about it. It just doesn't happen that much. Most all venture capital deals are acquired and they're either acquired by a strategic Microsoft, Oracle, Google, Amazon, you know, a company in their space that believes they can add value to what they have or a PE firm, a private equity firm that says, great, you've got it from here. We'll buy it from you, take you off of the capital table you get to claim your return or your internal rate of return to your investors. And we're going to focus and use our magic to get it really efficient, to get it profitable. You know, they have 35 products. Eh, let's stick with the top 10 that actually make money. And PE is really good at that. So a lot of venture-backed companies exit to PE firms. Interesting. So I'm learning a whole ton of stuff here, right? But let's pause real quick for a word from our sponsor. All right, so we're going to completely just slide off the rails here and go a whole different route, and we're going to head into our lightning round, okay? So here are the rules. You have a minute or less to answer each question. Definitely bonus points on that one, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so Larry, tell me, what is your favorite hack? This can be personal. This could be business. Anything goes here. Yeah, let me go with the business hack. When you're attacking a big problem, break it into smaller chunks and start to attack them one at a time. It can be attacked in parallel. That's why you have a team. You have this team, this part, this other team. I think a lot of people, both in business and life, look at daunting tasks or daunting challenges as big problems and they freeze. They're deer in a headlight. 
Mm-hmm. And you know what happens to deer in a headlight? They end up being deer on the side of the road with the vultures on them. All the Texans on the call know what that is. <laughs> and so I see that again and again in people's personal lives and their business lives is they see something that's so daunting and they try to attack it. Every problem can be broken down into little micro slices and then chip away at it because big distances are covered in small inches. Mm-hmm. And when you add those wins together inch by inch, you've actually gone a mile. So when you're going to raise venture fund, oh my God, this is mind boggling. First, make the list of who are the best venture firms that know anything about your space. Just do that. Well, I need to call them. No, you don't. We're not calling them yet. We're just going to make the list. Then you make the list. And then you're going to then see, do I have anyone that I know that knows them? Well, then we call them. No, we're not calling them yet. You're just making the list of who can connect you. So my biggest hack is when you come against a problem that's daunting or big, break it down in little pieces. And I'll end with a a history analogy because I like to do that. Uh, Make no mistake about it. The allies in World War II, their objective was Berlin. But the first thing they had to do was get on the beaches in Normandy. And so the planning was about the beaches in Normandy. Get there first. Once we get that, then we can move across France. Then we can start going across rivers. Make no mistake about it. Our objective is Berlin, but I cannot immediately go to Berlin. Baby steps. What do I need to do to get all these men on boats? Holy crap. We need to work on boat landing equipped. So big problems, break them into small pieces, attack it bit by bit. And call an Aggie. Let General Rutter take care of it, and then you're good. There you go. (laughs) Point off. Larry, what's the favorite bit of advice that you've ever received, and how have you applied it? Yeah, you know, it's kind of related to what I just said, but I got this advice early on is when you're attacking a problem, almost immediately when you're in a group, a committee, a team, an executive team, a leadership team, and you've got something that you're trying to do, everybody immediately starts to talk about the constraints. Don't do that. Talk about the problem in a perfect world. If you had unlimited budget, unlimited time, and unlimited resources, what would we do? Paint that out as the vision of the golden solution. Then apply the constraints. Because clearly you can't do that. You don't have unlimited budget. You don't have unlimited time. You don't have unlimited resources. But now what you've done is you've taken creative energy to say in a perfect world, this is what we'd want. That's the gold standard. Now let's use the constraints and chip back at it. And maybe we won't quite achieve that, but we clearly know what would have been the ultimate solution. So that was great advice when I started to become an executive as a vice president. And, you know, by the way, VPs and CEOs only deal with problems. You know, the regular day problems, the very competent people below you take care of them. So the only thing you get are just cat hairballs that are disaster. So if you can first talk about in a perfect world, what we would do, then apply the constraints. I'm not saying ignore constraints, but don't start with the constraints. And a lot of people do. Love that. All right, Larry, what is your superpower? My superpower. My superpower is what I call context switching. And that is different than multitasking. I believe that human beings cannot multitask. I think they think they're multitasking, but they're doing a piss poor job when they're doing two or three things. What they're really talking about, what the conversation should shift to is, do you have skills of context switching? Focus on this deeply and hard for four minutes and then switch to something totally different. And quite frankly, I learned as a three-time CEO, that's what CEOs do. I bounced from thing to thing to thing, from finance to engineering, to HR, to raising capital, to going on sales calls. So I'm really good at being able to context switch and keep things moving forward. I'm not good at multitasking. I can't do three things at once. I can do one thing at a time, but very quickly switch to what's next on the plate. So Larry, 
you work with a lot of different companies. You're dealing with the companies, you're dealing with investors. What gets you out of bed excited to tackle the day? This is going to sound corny, but I love what I'm doing. And to all entrepreneurs or whatever on the phone, find what you love. Um, I'm not a big believer, you know, when they say, tell your kid you can do whatever you want. That's not true. I would have never been able to play in the NBA. It would have been false for my parents to set me. I'm five foot seven, eight if I wear cowboy boots. I'm not going to play professional basketball. But what you should do is find out what you're good at and then find a way to really love it and engage on it. And then follow that as your North Star, not just you know, some dream. Of course you can dream, but you know, you can do hobbies. But what gets me up is I do two things in my job. I get to talk to successful Aggies about why they should diversify their portfolio, give us some money to deploy on their behalf. And so I learn about all these successful Aggies of everything from oil and gas to accounting, to veterinarians, to doctors, to school teachers. I get to talk to all these Aggies. That's about half my job, raising money for the fun. And the other is I talk to entrepreneurs about how they believe they're going to change the world. It might be something very small or something very big, but all of them believe that they're going to make something better and it's invigorating. And so when I lose faith in the future, you can see some of this stuff on TV, you're like, what? Just talk to a handful of entrepreneurs and you'll rebuild confidence that we're going to be fine. There's some really good ideas from some really bright young people out there. And those two things get me up each morning. And if not, we'll have Woolly Mammoth hamburgers. <laughs> we'll be great. Oh, I know. Wo- Woolly Mammoth hamburgers. I know. I, I, maybe that's what I should do. I call back and say, hey, if it goes well, kudos. If it doesn't, I'd like, you know, five pounds of Woolly Mammoth meat, please. Put me down. <laughs> it's like the Fred Flintstone, you know. That's right. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not making this up. Anybody on this thing, go Google Woolly Mammoth Company, Austin, Texas. I'm not going to say the company's name if you're that interested in it. And I did not make that story up. It's for sure. It's for real. So cool. Well, Larry, how can the Aggie Network get in touch with you and support you moving forward? Yeah. So I'll start with that on the mechanics. My email is Larry at av.vc. And maybe somewhere on the screen, some wicked smart technical person come up, but Larry at AV. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not the smart guy. I'm not saying. My phone number is 512-626-2898. It's my mobile. If it goes to voicemail, fine. Leave me a message. I'd like to talk to Aggie entrepreneurs. Um, I'll be very direct and quick. If it's not venture fundable, I'll try to steer them in the right direction. If it is, if it's something that we could do, we'll go through the process. If it's not, I'll do my mess to make an introduction or two. And there's no guarantee by calling me doesn't mean you get a check. That's not how this works. That's on the first side is entre- you know, calling all entrepreneurs. If you got an idea and has heavy tech or is tech enabled, you know, you define what that is. If you say, you know, it's got it's it's a machine, it's a physical machine, but we're using machine learning and software to drive what that machine does, well, that would probably count. The second thing is for all Aggies out there that believe they're accredited investors, reach out to me. This is a great strategy to diversify your portfolio and be part of the what's next economy. Imagine if you got into Tesla at a dollar a share. Well, the VCs did. Imagine if you got into SpaceX for 15 cents a share. The first VC did. So that's the kind of thing. And of course, those are wildly successful examples. And we have some that go poorly. But if you're an accredited investor, let me know. Even if you're not an accredited investor, send me an email. I'll send you a link to get on the newsletter. 
you can get the newsletter, learn about venture capital, learn about the Aggie entrepreneurial ecosystem through our newsletters, even if you're not accredited. And the way I look at it, if you're not accredited now, you probably will be someday. So that's how the Aggie Network can help me. Well, Larry, thank you so much for educating Chris and I and our entire audience on what Ring Venture is, what they do, and the Aggies that they help both as investors and then companies that they're invested in. Uh, look forward to seeing you the next time we've got the Entrepreneur's Bootcamp down here at College Station. And thanks again for sharing your, your wisdom and time for us today. Greg, thank you. Chris, love what you guys are doing. Thanks for putting me on. And we're out. Well, how about that, Ags? Was that some good bull or what? Larry shared some amazing things in that interview. I know that I wrote down like a hundred different things in my notepad here. What was your favorite one, Greg? Well, first off, I'd really appreciate him kind of opening, you know, opening up the door and letting us kind of see what a venture capital firm really does. It's something that I've never really had that much of a conversation with. I mean, I understand investing, I understand Shark Tank, but I've never had that. So appreciate Larry, you know, kind of opening the, going behind the curtain and see the wizard of what's actually going on. But some of the things that, that he talked about, he talked about the things that venture capital firms look at it, when they're looking at investable businesses, it was it was their team and saying, did you have the grit? Are you self, uh, self-aware? self Do you understand that you don't know everything? Are you flexible? Um, The market, the total addressable market, understanding who it is that you serve and how big that is, having traction. And I've really found it was just amazing how he's like, just have traction in something. You know, we talked about Facebook having the, the number of users or the downloads or whatever. And it's got to be something that you've got to pr- say, hey, we're improving month over month over month. And then lastly, you've got to have vision. So I, I think that that was super cool and very insightful, but it was also something that every entrepreneur needs to realize that they have. I mean, heck, you know, as he was talking, I was thinking about how does Aggie growth hacks stack up with each one of those and, and to be able, you know, cause we have, a, we have a good team. We've got people around us that make us sound good. We've yep. got, we understand our market, you know, reaching out to other Aggie entrepreneurs and that continues to grow but then we also have traction to be able to, whether it be downloads or engagements with us or the McFerrin Center. But then we also have this vision of where we want Aggie Growth Hacks to be and how we want other Aggie entrepreneurs to use us as a connection to help them. So maybe a little bit of self-serving assessing what we do, but I thought that that was pretty valuable as well. How about you? What'd you take away? So one, I have like a ton of things where I went through like two main pages that I've got here, you know, which is typically I'm writing one page worth of stuff, but you know, he's, he had so many gold nuggets there. The biggest one, if I had to narrow it down though, is break your big problem into smaller pieces. That was really right? good. Yep. And, and I so agree with that. Um, and it's something that everyone has to realize that is this, and this doesn't just apply to entrepreneurs. I mean, this is something I talk with uh, to my to my scouts, right? When we're talking about this uh-huh. journey to Eagle, right? From scout to Eagle, it's a journey of a million tiny little steps, mm-hmm. right? And he even said that right here. He said, it's a uh, big distances are covered in inches. I mean, that mm-hmm. just is brilliant. And it's something that that we all need to understand that, that entrepreneurialism, you know, if we're talking about that specifically, it is a journey, right? And we face some really big problems like what happened in 2020, right? That was a pretty big problem for a lot of kind entrepreneurs of, yeah. worldwide. <laughs> yeah, kind of, right? 
And, you know, when the entire world shuts down, what do you do? Well, we all, we all sat down and we all with entrepreneurial grit and just thought, okay, well, how can we, how can we still exist, right? How can our company still exist uh, and get through this crisis? So anyways, break it down into small pieces. I love it. Well, Ags, that's going to do it for this episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. We hope that you enjoyed it and we hope that you connect with Larry. I mean, Larry gave you his phone number. He gave you his email address and just listening to his spirit. How many times do you say, if it's an investable VC, we'll take the next step. If it's not, I'm going to point you in the right direction. I'm going to introduce you to the Aggie Angel Network. I'm going to do whatever he thinks is best. So Ags, y'all definitely need to take advantage of that. If you're not connected with Chris and I, we hope that you connect with us. We hope that you connect with Aggie Growth Hacks on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media platform is best for you. And make sure you check out AggieGrowthHacks.com so you can listen to previous episodes and as well as check out some of our other great content. We want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M University. Since 1999, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship has served as the hub of entrepreneurship for Texas A&M. If you're an Aggie entrepreneur or even a entrepreneur, head on over to their website to find the program that's right for you and just go to aggiegrowthhacks.com forward slash McFerrin right now. Join us next time when we connect with another great Aggie entrepreneur and learn how they hack their growth. Until then, I'm Chris Hunter. And I'm Greg Martin. Thanks and gig them.